The boy was used to posing questions, but it was the stranger who posed the question this time. Tell me, boy, you are curious about the elves and Jotuns who live in your world. Have you considered where they might live? The boy seemed to know immediately. Elves live in the rocks and plains, and Jotuns live in the wild places. The stranger nodded, mostly assuaged. And the dwarves? Beneath the earth, replied the boy, certain of himself. Sometimes, yes. Most times, in fact, in caves and beneath mountains and hills. But they also live in the abandoned places of the world, in fortresses and cities and burned holes of Jarl's halls. It is here that they build their forges and their breweries. And the stranger paused, his eye not twinkling any longer. I recall one where I met the most unpleasant dwarves. The boy seemed to realize something and asked, What's the difference between an elf and a dwarf? The old man smiled, seeming to get what he wanted from the boy. A good question indeed. You have heard it said that there are light elves and dark elves based on the coloring of their skin or temperament. This is not entirely accurate. You see, light and dark can mean those things, but they can also reflect the nature of light where they live. Light elves live in the wide open world where the sun is high and bears down upon souls. Dark elves live beneath mountains and in the dark places. That is how they are different. The boy was patient. And dwarves? I asked about dwarves. The old man's smile did not falter. And I told you, for dwarves are nothing but dark elves, living in Nidavelo and Svartalheim. This did confuse the boy. Why do they get two worlds? Because, said the stranger, not all dwarves are simple creators. The dwarves of Nidavelo are rough characters, but they are focused individuals. Svartalheim is a land of dark morals and dark desires. The boy seemed interested in this, and it was then the stranger knew the story was ready to resume. And how do you tell the difference between dwarves of Svartalheim and Nidaveller? The stranger leaned closer. With a little luck, you will find out as Odin did, rather than how Kvasir discovered the difference. Let us resume the tale, boy. Welcome to Goddessy, Season 2, Episode 7. Hearts of Darkness Recall where last we left Odin. The gods united and the war over, and together working to bolster humanity's chances against the wilds of the world. Odin brought them wisdom, Freya magic and belief, Heimdall their social structure from king down to servant, and Frey the preparation of the seasons. Both sides had between them hostages, and a peace was maintained. In Asgard, new halls were built, and at the center of them was Odin's feasting hall. It was wide and tall, and with many tables, though Odin did not yet tell anyone what they were for, for there were more tables than there were gods and pits for cooking that far exceeded need. It was said that Odin knew something, and indeed, boy, he did, but we have not yet come to that part of his tale. No, let us pick up with Odin, to what brought him to the hill by the sea, in the fortress that sat there, covered in black ash. 
In the years since the war, Odin had wandered, taking Bifrost and Yggdrasil and the secret places between worlds, and he walked, he loved, he fought, and he was content. And every so often he would hear of Kvasir, spreading wisdom and knowledge to the people. The teacher Kvasir, they called him, for he taught with a scholar's mind but with a poet's tongue, and many sought learning from that god. Odin was glad to hear it, and based on Kvasir's reasons for leaving, that is, the poet of the gods Bragi insulting him so, Odin respected that Kvasir wandered to gain worldly knowledge. But one day, he stopped hearing news of Kvasir among the mortal folk. Odin sent out his ravens, and they brought back no news of Kvasir, that he had not been seen for a season, indeed. The last place to have seen Kvasir was in a village by the sea, looking out on a long grey horizon to the east, backed by mountains to the west. Where was it? Are you fluent in the geographies of Midgard, boy? Do you know the difference between Gotland and Gjetaland? I thought not, boy. Do not trouble your mind with such things. Grimnir came to the village, keeping a weather eye on the sea. No storm was on the horizon that day, but grey skies threatened a rain above, and the winds ran fast from Yggdrasil. Hail! he said, sounding as a weakly old man to the gathered crowd, for today was market day to the surrounding farmers of the village. He got the attention of several women, their heads covered. I am but a weary traveler seeking wisdom of bright Kvasir, that wandering scholar. I have heard he was here but ten days hence. Where did he go? The women looked to one another, and a middle-aged woman with hair of straw spoke. Kvasir was helping us with the pestilence on our crop, teaching us to remove the bugs without smoke or fire threatening our fields. As he finished, two dwarves appeared and said that they needed Kvasir's help fixing a problem at their workshop, and he joined them. We have not seen him since. Grimnir thanked her. Where do the dwarves live? I sense fear in your voice, young good wife. She pointed up on the hill several miles from the village near a cliff above the sea. They live in the old fortress there that was burned and destroyed by raiders. The bodies were left to the crows, and none survived. We are the descendants of those raiders, but the fortress? It is cursed. I thank you again, good wife, and I shall look elsewhere. He turned and left, going away from the fortress, but Odin would not be held off from a fortress merely because it was haunted, for he knew the fortress, and it had fallen with his blessings, and by his blessings did carry and eat those bodies. He had not realized dwarves had moved in, however. Why do dwarves come to Midgard, you ask? The same reason any group moves. A family quarrel sends part of the family seeking a new home. Wanderlust and a need for a room of one's own. Men and women will always have a reason to travel and make something new, boy. You too might one day do so. Take a boat and sail across the vast sea to a new land or seek alliances south along the rivers and seas. A new day is dawning, boy. Be a part of it. A flock of ravens swarmed the gates of the place, and there appeared Grimnir again, older still and frailer, relying on a walking stick more obviously. The fortress was an oval, 
with three gates in a triangle from one another. Along the walls were thatched cottages that had been used primarily as granaries and storage, the roofs largely gone, while at the center were wooden halls, their roofs much more intact, varying from small residences to feast halls and holy places. None had been spared the fire, but the rain of the seaside kept it from burning. There were no goods left, but still Grimnir could smell something beyond the smell of soil and ash, something sweeter yet distant, and with it the smell of rot and decay. He wandered, seeing signs of life here and there, footprints in the black earth, large and wide, moving from building to building, and in some cases just disappearing. He understood immediately, but did not want to intrude upon them, for where dwarves appeared, they began to tunnel. This place had likely a cellar somewhere, a place to bury things, and the dwarves had begun to use that as their central hall. But something else was wrong here. There were signs of others, too. Giant footsteps, larger than any in Asgard, larger than Thor's or Tears. Something faint, something more recent, and destruction, too fresh splinters all around. Grimnir realized this place had seen a skirmish recently, but there was no blood. I know you watch me, dwarves. Come out, that we may speak. From the shadows directly before him came two short, stocky figures, their bellies comically large compared to the rest of their squat bodies. They had wispy beards that hung from long faces like an exaggeration of a real face. Dwarves do not look like any of the humans of any land, boy, but are hideous where the elves are beautiful to behold. One had black hair, the other hair of yellow, and Grimnir, who was Odin, knew that there were more watching and waiting. These two were their leaders. I am Grimnir, a wanderer. I have come seeking Kvasir. The black-haired dwarf spoke, his voice high. You are too late. He is gone. Grimnir focuses one eye on the dwarf. To whom do I speak? The dwarf pointed to himself. I am Fiala. This is my brother, Gela. Gela's eyes were hungry, though clearly the dwarf was not. What do you do here in Midgard, fine dwarves? Gala spoke. We are brewers, good Grimnir. Grimnir smiled. May I sample your wares? Fiala shook his head grimly. Giants have taken them. This surprised Odin, who was Grimnir, though he had guessed as much. Jotuns have come here for your stock. Fiala nodded gravely. Gala spoke. They have taken the meat of Kivasir. Grimnir's confusion was open. Kivasir was not a brewer, but a teacher. Fiala slapped his brother's head. Stupid, stupid, now we kill the old man. Both drew knives longer than their arms and approached. Holding forth his staff, Grimnir emitted a light from it as runes began to dance around him. His stature changed, and soon he stood tall, his clothes not quite so worn. Two ravens fell down from the sky and landed on his shoulder. Where two dwarves stood before, 
They had been thrown down by the burst of light. Both shielded their eyes, but seemed to understand. Forgive us, begged Fiala, dropping his knife. Forgive us, Odin. We did not mean to, all father, Gala apologized. The grim god stepped forward. No, I believe you did mean to. Speak quickly and I may spare you. What has become of Kvasir and why did the giant attack you? Begin at the beginning, whence you brought Kvasir here from the village below. Hugin cawed roughly. Fiala began. We had heard of his coming, the coming of wise Kvasir, and we knew of his true nature. We knew he belonged to the Vanir, the people of our Lord Frey, whom all elves must swear fealty to. Why did we want him to come with us? We craved that he might give us knowledge that we could use. For long have we sought something to make us stand out. All dwarves seek to make that which their rivals cannot duplicate. And so I, Gala, and our family came here, banished by our clan. Kvasir was our way to win prestige, and our way back home to Svartalheim. Odin had suspected as much. The tale was coming to a sad end already, and he could tell. The grim god turned to Hugin. Go for Ulir and bring him here. Bring Tyr, too. Thought left Odin and memory followed soon after the two ravens, leaving him. Continue, dwarves. We wanted to show him our craft, show him how we make brews, and Gala got into his head that this was a chance we could not pass up. For the Vanir are of the earth, and the earth is where we make our meat from. Much honey we had, and Gala's thoughts soon became my own. I asked him what he thought of our setup, despite the decrepitude of this forsaken place, and he asked to sample some of our older meats. I responded by slitting his throat. Gala caught the blood in his bowl, and soon we moved to drain him completely of blood. We did not lose a single drop of that holy blood, and soon Kvasir was mixed with honey. It took a whole moon to brew that mead. God's blood does things to it, makes it a different potency, but it always smelled of sweat. I thought we had done something wrong because of that, but... Odin scoffed because of the smell. Not when you slit a stranger's throat in your own halls. Neither dwarf responded to that, but wept loudly. Continue before I ruin you. What became of this mead? We each took sips of it, and poetry came from our mouths. Dwarves are not poets. Our crafts are not words, but tools, weapons, brews. We both spoke, and spoke wisely, and spoke of things we did not in our waking minds understand, but knew to be true. The lay of the universe, the names of gods we had never heard of. We called it the mead of poetry, and kept it to ourselves and our family. Odin saw them now, looking out around the shadows, the children, the women, watching him, wondering what he would do if they needed to aid their husbands and fathers in some way. Odin would let them watch for now. If they attacked, they would all die. What happened next? Gala picked up the story. For a long time, nothing. Two Jotuns appeared, for they had known the humans who lived here and were sad that they had died. We told them we knew nothing of their fate, which is a lie. They decided they would take to the sea and deposit the bones that remained there in the ocean where Rand might accept their souls. 
Ren is their kindred, after all, is she not, all father? A Jotun and a goddess of the souls lost at sea? It was true. Odin knew Ran and her daughters quite well. He did not speak to this and let the question hang as an answer. Galar figured out Odin's silence and continued meekly. The Odins were husband and wife and quite loving. The husband took the blanket of bones and got out of the boat where he planned on praying over them but soon realized we had taken him out too far. His feet would not touch the bottom. He asked for us to throw him a rope but the tide was taking him too far. Soon the waters grew too troubling and he was lost. His wife reached out for him. And we realized that before we had gotten on the boat, we had asked the giants to leave their possessions at the shore as not to sink our boat. And they had agreed. And we knew that we would be wise and wealthy too if we kept the goods. So Fiala took his hammer from his belt and hit the wife over the head and threw her overboard and watched her sink below. So we went back and were wealthy and wise for a few days. Odin thought this humorous but said nothing. Fiala picked up the story. Then he came. Like a storm he came from the hills and mountains, and in fury he came, destroying parts of our fortress home. He said his name was Sertung, and that he was looking for his father Gilling, and his mother too. He said he would kill us all, kill our families. But he was benevolent, he said. He would spare us if we gave him all of his parents' things, and if we gave him something of great value, as dwarves often do. We did not want to. We did not wish to do so, but we wanted to live. So first we brought him all of the parents' things, and then we told him what we had to offer. A mead that would make any man or woman clever and wise, and a scholar and poet, so long as they were under its influence. He did not believe us until he had a sip, and realized the truth. So thankful was he, he took the mead of poetry and left the goods of his parents unconcerned save for a single ring, which had belonged to his father, and made him the rightful heir. Odin looked at one of the footprints belonging presumably to Sotong. And this was yesterday. Both dwarves nodded. What did you do to Kvasir's body? Bring it to me. They did so. The body was rotting, a cadaver fit only for carrion insects. Odin did not touch it, and it sat before him as the winds picked up not from the sea, but from him. The dwarves did not realize it at first. Will you spare us all, father? Will you show us mercy? Odin's walking staff had ceased to be a walking staff. It was now instead a spear. No, was all he said. Soon Ulir and Tyr arrived, and what they found was not a fortress but a crater. Nothing remained of that place in the village below watch, terrified that something had destroyed their fortress. Angry spirits, they presumed. They were more right than they knew, boy. Ulir, take Kvasir's body back to Asgard. Upon my return, we will give him a funerary rite of some sort. Ulir placed the body on his sled, and wolves ran off with it. Tyr, astride a horse, looked down at his father. What would you have me do, father? Join you in avenging him? Odin shook his head. He is avenged. You are of two people, 
and your second half I have need of. Tell me of Satung of the Jotuns. He did so. Satung was the son of Gilling and had a brother, Bagi. Satung was one of the most successful Jotun Jarls in all of Jotunheim and was a farmer by trade. He had many servants and a daughter who was a better fighter than any in Vanaheim or perhaps even Asgard, though, like Thor, was prone to rage. Odin then spoke. Tell me how I can find this brother, this Bagi. And it is there our tale must pause, boy. This first chapter of the language of poetry introduces us to the dwarves and to their potentially treacherous nature. Dwarves are very different from elves, despite being elves. Scholars are somewhat divided on whether dwarves are dark elves or a third category of elf altogether. There is some evidence that dark elves are their own creature, but it served no purpose in this season, so I simplified it for ease. Kvasir's innocence is one of the key aspects of his character and his ultimate downfall. His death comes because he trusts strangers, and this stands as an important lesson. A guest must never become complacent in the house of their host, for a guest's best interest is only served when they protect themselves. Though they had rules of hospitality, the ancient Germanic peoples were also very paranoid of their host, and with good reason. Their myths often reflect that. The meat of poetry is one of the most important items in Norse myth because it becomes an important part of Norse culture and identity. By tale's end, this will become clear. Next week, we'll look into Jotun politics and why they, even more than dwarves, cannot be trusted. But that's for next week. Goddessy is written, researched, and produced by Greg Wright. Additional writing and editing by Sidney Yeager, who knows better than to trust dwarves. Music by Scott Buckley, whose Creative Commons music can be found at www.scottbuckley.com.au. Follow Goddessy on social media at The Goddessy Podcast. We share mythology factoids daily from all over the world, hilarious memes, and occasionally real-world wisdom. And when you do, reach out and share Goddessy with your friends, followers, and shadowy fiends of Svartalheim. We can also be reached via email. All those can be found in the show notes, so check us out there. Your support keeps this show going. If you like what you've heard, leave a review on the podcast service of your choice and help others find us. Share us on social media, though maybe not to dwarves you've met. I don't think we can afford that kind of duplicity. If you want to show support more directly, you can get access to the weekly blog deep dives and early access episodes on our Patreon. The link there is also below. Goddessy releases every Monday. See you next week, Far Traveler. Thank you.